Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to January 22 CTSS Quiz. It's amazing we're in 2022. I have to say it a few times so I'll remember it, but nevertheless, Happy New Year to everybody. And we have 10 great cases, the first 10 quiz cases for 2022. And without further ado, let's get started. In this first case, in this patient with abdominal pain, what's the most likely diagnosis? Now, if we look carefully at the images, at first glance, you might say, gee, there's something going on in the pancreas. Maybe it's a pancreatic mass. Then you look at the duodenum on these axial images, and you say the duodenum's of low density. There's edema around the duodenum and of the duodenum. And then if you look at the image on your right a little bit more carefully, there seems to be an interface, low density, between the duodenum, which is edematous, and the pancreatic head, which is also edematous. We don't see any dilated ducts, but we don't have all the images. The vessels, as we see them, look okay. There's no bowel obstruction. So what are we dealing with? Well, you could consider autoimmune pancreatitis anytime you see pancreatic enlargement, but that would not explain the duodenum. You can get dilated common duct or pancreatic duct with autoimmune pancreatitis, the whole IG4 syndrome, but it really doesn't look like that here. Could this be adenocarcinoma? Again, you have limited images, one could argue, but why am I showing you and focusing on the duodenum as well? We know adenocarcinoma of the pancreas can invade the duodenum, but that's more medial and it's more irregular, and you would see other changes, including low-density mass in the pancreatic head. And simply duodenitis would not explain the interface between duodenum and the head of the pancreas and the pancreas proper. So what this is then, think about duodenum, think about head of pancreas, think about the interface, Think about how it's low density, and you can imagine this on the coronal view as well. And this is a classic example of groove pancreatitis. It's an unusual form of pancreatitis, commonly simulates pancreatic cancer. If you don't think about it, patients end up with a Whipple's procedure. So it's a very important diagnosis to make, and this is a great case of groove pancreatitis. In this patient with abdominal pain, the most likely diagnosis is, I'm looking at the pancreas and what I see is several things. One is there appears to be low density in the body and tail of the pancreas. And if I look really carefully, particularly on the coronal view, I would wonder, could there be a mass in the body of the pancreas? And maybe I'm dealing with pancreatic adenocarcinoma. But then you would say, if I had pancreatic adenocarcinoma, I would have a dilated pancreatic duct and I don't have that. Also, when you look carefully at both the axial and coronal views, you see low density around the gland, very much an indication there's local inflammation. And it's true, you can get pancreatitis and carcinoma together, but I'm really focusing on the fact that I don't see a dilated duct, and I have what I would call a halo around the gland. Obviously, we're not thinking about neuroendocrine tumors, which nearly always are hypervascular. We spoke about groove pancreatitis before, and that occurs by the head of the pancreas and between the head of the pancreas and duodenum, and this is body and tail, so that's not gonna be in the differential at all. So what are we dealing with? Well, this is a great case because we could understand why you might pursue the thought of adenocarcinoma, the patient had abdominal pain, but this is classic, that halo, the lack of duct dilatation, 
the hypodense zones. This is a beautiful example of autoimmune pancreatitis. Autoimmune pancreatitis is a real challenge for us. We know Ig4 is elevated often, but only about half the cases. We know also the patients can present with weight loss, they can have dilated ducts, can very much simulate pancreatic cancer. The age range can be very similar, but again, you need to think about autoimmune pancreatitis. Treatment is typically 40 milligrams of prednisone for two weeks, and the pancreas changes will resolve. So a beautiful example of autoimmune pancreatitis. The most likely diagnosis in this teenage female is, well, the age becomes very important, okay? Anytime I tell you there's a teenager, and then I tell you it's a female, and then you look at the image and you say there's a mass in the pancreatic head, which is somewhat cystic but somewhat solid, what are you going to be dealing with? Well, lymphoma can give you a mass in the pancreas. Usually it's diffuse infiltration and multi-organ involvement. And that hint about female and teenager, that doesn't help you with lymphoma. It doesn't look like pancreatic adenocarcinoma because we essentially never see pancreatic adenocarcinomas in 17 or year olds or teenagers. But also we don't see a dilated common duct or pancreatic duct, that would not be the case. We also can think about neuroendocrine tumors, and yes, we know they're hypervascular typically, but they can be hypovascular as well. They may not have ductilitation, so that's a good thought, or at least something for your differential. But if you tell me teenage or you tell me female, then I have to go with a SPEN tumor, solid papillary epithelial neoplasm, range of appearances, anywhere from body to tail of pancreas. This is on the smaller side. They can be large. They can have dystrophic calcification. Greater than 90% are curable with resection. So if you see a mass, particularly cystic and solid, in a teenager, particularly if it's a female, remember female 9 to 1 over male in terms of spent tumors is going to be a spent tumor, and that's precisely what this was. In this patient with back pain and weight loss, what's the best diagnosis? Now, what's important to look at is you see a cystic mass involving body and tail of pancreas. Now, the truth is, if you told me this was a mucinous cystic neoplasm with malignancy, solid components, it could be because MCNs typically occur in the distal body and tail of the pancreas. Serous cystadenoma is not that good because you can get septations, but if you have a solid component, that's exceedingly rare, and that typically means we're pointing to malignancy. We can think about pancreatic adenocarcinomas. Adenocarcinomas can be solid, they can be cystic, they can be necrotic, and there are certain types of pancreatic adenocarcinomas that are more likely to be cystic. Those include colloid tumors. Those include acinar cell tumors, but also it includes adenosquamous cell carcinoma. This was an adenosquamous cell carcinoma. They're highly malignant, highly aggressive, Again, if you said MCN with malignancy, it would be hard for me to say you were wrong, but A is the best answer. The most likely diagnosis in this case is, and I gave you four choices. The truth of the matter is, what are we seeing here? We're seeing a mass in the region of the head of the pancreas and body of the pancreas, but if you look, the pancreas is actually pushed forward. When you look at the coronal views, with volume rendering, you see the mass is large from body through the region of the head and uncinate. It's involving the arterial and venous structures. There's 
portal vein encasement. So you could think about a very large pancreatic mass, but the way it's stretching the celiac, it you know, usually with pancreatic masses, it encases the celiac, not stretching it. So if you showed me this case, it's not a serous cyst adenoma, right? This is too solid. It's not pancreatic adenocarcinoma. The pancreas is displaced. My first thought would have been lymphoma. And to me, lymphoma is really the best answer. And I showed this case at conference at Hopkins, and people said lymphoma. And I agreed. I said, I typically would say lymphoma. Looks like lots of nodes, lots of mass. Now, it's true lymphoma compresses rather than obstructs vessels. So it's a bit uncommon for lymphoma to give you a cavernous transformation of the portal vein. But I guess it could. But after biopsy, this ended up being metastatic lung cancer to the pancreas. We talk about metastasis, the most common metastasis to the pancreas is metastatic renal cell carcinoma. Those are typically vascular and occur more than a decade after original presentation. We could talk about melanoma. We could talk about lung cancer. We can talk about breast cancer. I've seen lung cancer numerous times as one of the top three, but never where the metastasis are so large. So a very unusual example, biopsy proven of metastatic lung cancer to the pancreas and peripancreatic region. In this patient with a chronic cough and decreased pulmonary functions, what's the best diagnosis? Well, if you look, what you're seeing is lots of cystic spaces in the apices. You're seeing bronchiectasis in both apices. You're seeing disease with air trapping in the lower lung regions. You're seeing some adenopathy. And you're seeing what looks like an aspergilloma in the left upper lobe in one of the cavities. You could think about sarcoid and TB. Post-COVID changes, I would say, is the one thing you really don't need to think about because COVID typically involves the mid to lower lungs. But when you put all of the findings together, the way the entire lung is involved, but mainly the upper lung regions, then I leave sarcoid and TB and I go to cystic fibrosis. The bronchiectatic changes are more classic for cystic fibrosis, and that is the correct answer. In this patient with cough and low-grade fever, the best diagnosis is, well, here I see in process mass-like or inflammatory left upper lung. There are multiple little nodules present and mild bronchiectasis, no obvious adenopathy, and the rest of the lung fields look okay. MAI infection, typically lower lung, middle lobe, not apex. Coccidiomycosis can give you nodules, but usually more discrete nodules. Again, history of infection would be good. COVID-19 involves the mid to lower lung fields typically with this mosaic pattern. It's not this nodular type pattern. This is a great pattern for tuberculosis. Multiple small nodules, mild bronchiectatic changes involving the apices, a great example of active TB. The most likely diagnosis in this case is, well, what am I seeing in this case? When you look at the axial image, you see diffuse thickening of the patient's um, right and left main stem bronchi. When you do a, a virtual bronchogram, you can see the narrowing, particularly of the left main stem bronchus. Now you can say, well, maybe this is metastatic. Maybe it's metastatic breast cancer. I guess you can think about that. Maybe it's lung cancer infiltrating along the airways. But you know, the areas of involvement, which are multiple, it's a bit atypical for lung cancer. 
TB can give you strictures, but not diffuse infiltration in both left and right mainstem bronchi, with little else in the lung fields proper. Wagner's would be a good thought, but the classic thing which gives you multiple strictures in the airway, gives you thickening of the airway proper, is relapsing polychondritis. We always forget about primary tracheal processes. We think about papillomatosis, we think about carcinoma, but you gotta think about infectious etiologies. Wegner's is one of them, and this diffuse thickening and multiple narrowing, with the rest of the lung fields looking pretty good, is a very good case for relapsing polychondritis. The best diagnosis in this case, and this is an article that we're publishing in Emergency Radiology. Claire Brookmeyer and Hannah Recht did the article, and we were talking about the importance of looking at the sagittal spine focusing on the lumbar spine. But you can see in this patient, there are sclerotic lesions throughout the spine. There are sclerotic lesions in the patient's sternum, sclerotic lesions in all of the ribs and the scapula. What are we dealing with? I guess you can think about prostate cancer if this was a male and the patient was of the right age range. But this was a younger patient. But more importantly, the appearance of the vertebral bodies has kind of that um, V-shaped configuration, and usually the entire body would be involved with prostate. Hyperparathyroidism, renal osteodystrophy, give changes. Often the bones are expanded. It's more of a salt and pepper type appearance. Again, this V-shaped appearance, which you're seeing in the spine, would not be typical. And this is a classic case for a very unusual entity, osteopetrosis. It's just very unusual, and I would call it an and mini. So, hope you got it right. The most likely diagnosis in this 40-ish year old female is, well, I see a large anterior mediastinal mass, and so lymphoma, thymoma, teratoma, and substernal thyroid at least enter my imagination. But then you see the mass is a bit eccentric, it's solid, and then there's some pleural disease also noted. Lymphoma is up there, thymoma is really good because pleural involvement, drop lesions, and thymoma are great. It's not a teratoma, there's no fat, there's no calcification, and it's not a substernal thyroid. Lymphoma can involve the pleura, but that's unusual unless there's really a lot of other disease present. Uh, only anterior metastinum can be lymphoma, though a bit less common. This is more likely its eccentric nature and the pleural involvement to be thymoma, which this indeed was. So with that, I've given you 10 absolutely terrific cases. I hope you were able to answer all of them correctly, but more importantly, I hope they challenged you. I hope they made you think carefully. Cases like osteopetrosis, which I showed, look at our newest app on the lumbar spine and sagittal spine in the Apple Store, and that'll help you learn more about that as well. And with that, I wish you all a great day. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.